1: Hey everyone, this is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined, I don't even know where to begin, the one, the only Miss Gloria Allred. Hi, David. How are you?
0: Just great now that I'm here with you. How are you today?
1: Pretty good. So I just need to start and say, as a fellow lawyer, I, this is truly beyond a blessing dream come true to be sitting with, you are an icon in the world of law, Gloria.
0: Well, thank you so much. It's just, uh, you know, it's great to get up every day and fight the good fight, the battle for justice.
1: Do you ever get tired of hearing people say that you're an icon? Yeah, I'm
0: more concerned about advocating for my clients and the issues Uh, in which they are involved and fighting the injustice that has been inflicted
1: upon them and making the wrongdoers accountable. That's what I think about. I love that. So you never are just like, hey, remember, I'm a trailblazer. It really is all about the work.
0: You know, it is about the work, David. And, you know, whether people love me or hate me or something in between or ignore, it doesn't really matter. I'm involved in the court of public opinion, in the court of law, battling, you know, in the streets, lobbying in the legislatures, and just fighting the good fight. Uh, And that's what I do every day. And I'm very blessed to be able to do it.
1: Before we get into other stuff, I just want to start with, you know, for someone who kind of did their own Me Too movement back when this wasn't a thing, you know, how does it feel to have the world catching up with you?
0: You're right. I, we've been the leading women's rights law firm for 45 years in the United States, and we've won hundreds of millions of dollars for victims. And from the beginning, uh, I made sure that many of my clients uh, who had issues of public interest and importance and who felt that advocating publicly could help them to accomplish their goals uh, I had them speak out. Uh, I I made sure that they had their voice. It wasn't just their lawyers speaking for them. It was their lawyers speaking with them. But the most important part was for them to have their voice and to generate discussion in the court of public opinion, because we have been involved in so many pioneering cases and both for women's rights, also for the gay, lesbian, Uh, transgender community, for racial equality. And we've been doing it for all those years. And obviously, David, in 2021, there are still many battles to fight and to win.
1: That's what I was just going to ask you. I mean, do you think the world has caught up? Like, have they made a lot of progress in terms of like women's rights? Or do we still have such a long way to go?
0: Well, I think uh, both. (laughs) That we have made a great deal of progress, but we still have a long, long way to go. And uh, so often I say, you know, conservatives uh, look at the past and they say, wow, you've come such a long way in women's rights. But I'm a progressive. So I look forward and I look to what the standard should be, which should be full equality for women with men and for minorities. And by that standard, we still have a long, long way to go.
1: Absolutely. Well, as a self-respecting gay man, I would like to say, you know, thank you for all that you've done. Has has LGBTQIA issues always been something near and dear to your heart ever since your early career?
0: Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, Here Media did a little interview with me uh, recently about some of my uh, battles for gay and lesbian equality dating back to the early 1980s and uh and now they've submitted it and it's going to be voted on for a daytime emmy for uh, a short uh non-fiction documentary uh so i i'm very uh proud of them that they did that i'll give you an example of just a couple of the early cases david because many people may not even be aware of how long this battle uh for equal rights has been going on so for example Uh, In the very early 80s, I had a case for two women uh, who were lesbian life partners, and they wanted to sit in the romantic section of Papa Shoe Restaurant, uh, where they could close the sheer curtains, and a violinist would stroll by, and they could have a beautiful dinner celebrating Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. One of the women was an African-American woman, and one was a Latina woman. Both were businesswomen. And they made reservations. They went in there. They were seated in their booth, and then they were told, oh, wait, uh, there's a mistake. Uh, You can sit anywhere else in the restaurant in the main section, but you can't sit here. This is for opposite-sex couples only. Uh, and this is a house policy. And they said, well, that's just not, that's ridiculous. We don't want to leave and sit in another section. And then, uh, so then allegedly the owner came by, and he said, well, in addition to a house policy, there's a city law, a city ordinance in LA that prohibits same-sex couples from sitting here. And uh, they said, Look, we're businessmen, businesswomen, and we're not lawyers, but we can't believe there is a city law like that. Uh, and they, so they said, We don't want to leave, but they, so the owner said, You can sit somewhere else, but you can't sit here. So then they decided, and they said this publicly later, what would Martin Luther King Jr. want them to do? And they decided, they said, He would want them to call Gloria Allred. So they did. And we decided as a law firm, after we debated it, is this an important question or is this a ridiculous question? And we decided, if you think that Rosa Parks having to sit in the back of the bus is a ridiculous issue, because after all, the bus will still get her to where she wants to go, then I guess you think this is ridiculous. But if you think that people should not be having to sit in the back of their bus essentially, because of their sexual orientation or their sex, and not enjoy the same rights as anyone else, well, then you think this is an important issue. We thought it was. We filed the lawsuit. We lost at the lower court level. At, we went up to the Court of Appeals in California. We won a precedent, uh, published decision that a business cannot discriminate against a couple on account of their sexual orientation or their sex in California. And I think that was 1983, very important decision. We also had another case where we filed a lawsuit on behalf of two gay men because they went to their high school reunion. This was in the 1980s as well. And everyone was having their picture taken by the high school reunion book uh, publisher staff. And they went as a couple to have their photo taken And they were told, well, we'll take your photo, but it's not going to be published in the high school reunion book because Uh of the religious objection of the publisher. So we sued. And that was a very interesting battle that went on for 16 years with the publisher taking out advertisements in the newspaper uh, with his religious objections. And we fought that battle and we won that battle. And then we had an AIDS discrimination case where uh, our client, Paul Jasperson, was denied a pedicure solely on account of the fact that he was perceived to be HIV positive or had AIDS. And we fought that battle uh, for, I think it was 23 years, a long time. Wow. Uh, But in any event, it was many, many, many years. And we won two precedents in the court of appeals on that. We had even continued that case after Paul Jasperson, may he rest in peace, passed away. And we won the precedent that upholding the West Hollywood City Ordinance, prohibiting businesses from discriminating on account of the fact that a business perceived that a person was HIV positive or had AIDS. And we also won another important precedent that an injunction could be granted in those cases, even though the uh, plaintiff had passed away because we argued to the court if because of the glacial pace of litigation and the appeals process, unless that was possible, uh, no one would even file cases of discrimination against people who had AIDS because they would pass away uh, before the Court of Appeals could decide the case. And we won that precedent, too. So on and on, we've done many, many pioneering cases when it was not popular to do so, but we did it because it was the right thing and because this particular minority group has been subjected to denigration, disrespect, a lack of equal rights uh, in the, uh, under the law. And of course, we filed uh, a, a major marriage equality case in California for our clients, Robin Tyler and her uh, soon to be spouse, then we we were successful in the marriage case in California and they were married and uh, we became the first case in LA County where clients were allowed to marry one day before of everyone else because we had won that case. So we love the battle and believe me in 2001, excuse me, 2021, uh, this battle still continues because there's still so much discrimination against individuals on account of their sexual orientation or on account of the fact that they are transgender. But we are just thrilled to be able to continue to fight
1: the good fight for them. Well, that's amazing. Well, thank you from me for all that you've done for that cause. You work, you work, you work with all this work and we all know about Gloria, the lawyer. What does Gloria Allred do for fun?
0: I work. That's what I do for fun. I love uh, my work. I love fighting the good fight for my clients. Uh, The worst that can happen for me is not to be able to work. I work during the week. I work Saturdays and Sundays, holidays, nights. This is what I do. I am a confessed workaholic. And uh, I feel very privileged to continue this battle. And I have wonderful partners, wonderful associates, great team uh, at our office in Los Angeles. We have an office in New York as well. Before COVID, David, I was traveling all over the country every week, back and forth to New York, also to other states. We have cases in other states uh, and, and, and all over the country, uh, and I have co-counsel in many states. So I, although I haven't been on a plane, Zoom has been a great Uh, Alternative, we've been able to litigate cases and also to mediate and confidentially settle many cases without litigation, even through this pandemic.
1: Do people not understand that? Do they say, you know, hey, take a minute off and you're like, I'm having fun. Just let me work. Because I've been accused of that at times. Like, you're like, just let me work. This is fine.
0: Well, actually, I've had people who have... uh, emailed me on Christmas, on Valentine's Day, and I I respond to them. And they said, we can't believe you responded to us on this holiday. And I said, well, you emailed me, so I'm going to respond to you. I'm a believer in good communication because I think when our clients or people who like to be our clients are able to get answers, it helps to make the fear that they have disappear because knowledge is power. And When they understand what their options are and the benefits and risks of any options and what is going to happen next, uh, they have more courage because they don't have to worry about what's going to happen because they understand what the possibilities are and then they can relax. And that's why I do what I do. And It's not a sacrifice for me. I'm fortunate to be able to do it.
1: That makes sense to me. What about, so in the documentary, seeing Allred, one scene early on that stood out to me was the Dinah Shore scene way back in the day. You know, there's Dinah. She's telling people to like, you know, women should stay home and cook and clean. And, you know, you weren't Gloria Allred, quote unquote, at that time. And you stood up and you're like, I don't think so. So to me, that scene, which I imagine was the point of that scene was, you know, to say, Gloria Allright is not afraid of anything. I mean, is well, that that's true? true.
0: Really?
1: It's true, I'm not afraid of anything. Uh, and uh, I'm
0: not afraid of the rich, the powerful, the famous television talk show host or anybody else. And yes, it was pretty radical in those days, kind of the cave age uh, where uh, in television where women were supposed to be very happy with a limited role that they would have uh, in the kitchen or at home. And that was fine, except that many women also wanted other options. And so I was an advocate for them. Uh, It was interesting, too, that uh, you saw me in the Netflix documentary, Seeing All Red, which is still streaming on Netflix, I might add. Uh, You saw me also on the Merv Griffin Show. Uh, where Merv Griffin was making jokes about sexual harassment and having uh, some of the women on his show, Zsa, Zsa and there was another woman as well, uh, in his dressing room, uh, kind of suggesting that you know there were going to be sexual favors exchanged in there between him and them. And that's how they got on his show. Of course now, It's not a laughing matter to say that. It's pretty ironic that he said that, given that we know now that Merv Griffin was gay. But still, (laughs) he felt that it was culturally acceptable to joke about sexual harassment. So you can see, uh, we had a long way to go, and we have come a long way.
1: Seeking the truth never gets old. Absolutely. What about, so nothing, you're not afraid of anything. Does Gloria already have like insecurities, like doubts? I mean, you don't seem to from where I'm sitting, but just curious.
0: I would if I didn't prepare, but I do prepare for my cases. And it's all about the preparation. You know, they say what success is 99% preparation, 1% inspiration. Uh, so I uh, I'm all about preparation and I like to have some inspiration as well. Uh, but I, I would never go into a case and, uh, just wing it cause it's just not who I am. And I always like my clients to be prepared too, to the extent that they can be. Um, and when they are prepared again, there's less fear because they know what the possibilities are. There are always some surprises in a case, but, uh, you know, again, preparation is the key. I, I want to add that I'm very proud of my partners and my law firm, my two main partners I've been partners with for 45 years. I met wow. them in law school, they're terrific. And we have a great trial team also in our office. At the end of 2019, we won the largest verdict in California that year for one victim of sexual harassment. For one victim, David, we won 58 million two hundred and fifty thousand dollars that was the verdict of the jury motion for new trial denied and a few months earlier we represented another victim of the same billionaire and another jury awarded us more than five million dollars uh on that case of sexual harassment as well so you know we we do fight very strongly against sexual harassment we have many cases involving rape sexual assault adult victims of child sexual abuse so all kinds of gender violence so we're not only involved in the employment area but you know this whole issue of you know Harvey Weinstein and the many people who are like Harvey Weinsteins and we do reach many many confidential settlements without a lawsuit but we also will litigate cases in an appropriate case and fight all the way if necessary, all the way up Court of Appeals, even to the Supreme Court if necessary.
1: Wow, what about Hollywood? Let's talk Hollywood because you've met almost everyone. Like who just blew you away?
0: Uh, None of them really blow me away, (laughs) but uh, I have particular admiration for women who, in Hollywood, who have stood up maybe when it wasn't necessarily so popular to stand up. So for example, uh, Sybil Shepard is somebody that uh, I admired as an actress. I came to know her well, I like Sybil. And uh, she was involved in fighting for gay and lesbian rights and for the right to choose abortion while many others were not willing to take that stand. So I would say I admire Sybil, Sybil for her
1: efforts have you ever had any bad Hollywood run-ins where you meet someone and they're just totally full of themselves? Maybe they don't know your Gloria already. Not that that excuses their behavior, but you know, anything like that.
0: I, I don't care if they're full of themselves or not full of themselves. Um, I just care about, you know, are they, are they sexual predators or are they not sexual predators? Are they helping women? Are they hurting women? Uh, and of course, we represent many same-sex uh, issues where the victim is also a victim of sexual harassment uh, by a predator in Hollywood. So uh, other than that, I, I'm just, I'm not in awe of them. Uh, I think they're interesting, but um, I, I just don't look at them maybe some way that some, way in some
1: way that maybe others do. You're not the type to get starstruck.
0: Not really, uh, although it's kind of fun because when I was a a kid, uh, I used to sit cross-legged in front of the television, and I remember that uh, I used to watch Dick Clark on television, and he had American Bandstand, and we used to jitterbug in front of... (laughs) the television and hope that one day we could be on American Bandstand. we'd be old enough, my girlfriend and myself one day. And then of course, after I moved to Los Angeles as an adult, I had the opportunity to meet Dick Clark. So that was exciting. But also to meet Milton Burrell, who was called Mr. Television way back in the forties. He was the most successful person in television. He became the head of the Friars club, which was a celebrity club in Los Angeles and also founded it in New York, and it was an all-male club. And so I approached Milton Burrell one day and introduced myself when I was at the club having lunch as a guest of a judge who was a member, and it was an all-male club, and I said, Mr. Burle, um I would like to be a member of this club. And he said, well, why would you like to be a member of the Friars Club? I said, well, of course, because you have a great Cobb salad, and then he said, ah, don't you know that this club is all men? And I said, well, I, I think I actually do know that. And he said, well, would you like to be an honorary member? And I said, no, it would be a dishonor to be an honorary member of a club that discriminates against women. I would like to be a full dues paying member with all the rights and privileges of any other person who is a member. He said, I'll tell you what. I am going to make the motion for your admission myself. I'm even going to second my own motion. He said, you think it's because I'm a woman? Wrong. It's because I want to lower the average age of this club because the average age of this club is dead. So with that, he made the motion. I became the first woman member of the Friars Club in Beverly Hills, and then not long after, I went to New York and I wanted to have take my, uh, my guests, my client to lunch there in New York because male California friars had privileges called reciprocal privileges to use the New York club. But when I went to make a reservation, they said, it's men only. Men can't even bring their wives or their secretaries to lunch. And I said, well, don't think of me as a woman, think of me as a friar. And I would like to be able to have lunch here. And they said no. So I um, had a big news conference outside of the club. And then when they wouldn't let me in, I went and filed the first discrimination complaint on account of gender with the New York City Commission on Human Rights. Later, they found out Uh, after an investigation that, in fact, I had been discriminated against on account of my gender. And the whole issue of whether a New York club could discriminate against women went up to the United States Supreme Court. The United States Supreme Court decided they could not. So on a Monday, uh, after the Supreme Court made that decision, uh, I called the New York club from LA and I said, did you hear about the Supreme Court decision? They said, Yes. I said, can I have lunch there now? They said, no. I said, is it because I'm a woman? Yes. It's still that reason. I said, well, I'm going to get on a red eye tonight. I'm going to fly to New York. I'm going to be there for lunch tomorrow at noon. Please have my table ready. You can't stop me. I did that. I flew all night. I got off the plane in New York. I called a press conference. I went to the club. And when I got there, Henny Youngman, who was formerly the most famous person in burlesque, he's no longer alive today, came out and tried to stop me from going in. And there was a big press conference that I was having outside. And I just said, Mr. Youngman, you're not going to stop progress for women. Uh, you uh, please move aside and because I'm going in. And he was shocked that I would say that because everybody was used to saying yes to Mr. Youngman and never telling him something different. But since I'm not in awe of any celebrities, I just went right in and I said to the maitre d, as promised, I'm here for lunch. May I be seated? And the maitre d said, yes, Miss Allred, right this way. So I became the first woman ever to have lunch at the New York Friars Club. And then in settlement of my case, uh, I, required them to open up the club to membership to women. And anyway, fast forward many years uh, that when my book came out, Fight Back and Win in 2006, uh, I had my, my book party there at the New York Friars Club and the dean came up to me, the dean of the club and said, Gloria, we want to apologize to you for not letting you in uh, and simply because you're a woman. Now that you made us take women, this is a better club You're right. It's stronger. It's more viable financially. It's more interesting because the women are here. Thank you for making us do it. And so that's the story of how we integrated uh, the Friars Club.
1: That's got to feel good.
0: Yeah, it it does feel good. I also made them uh, integrate the steam room uh, in, uh, you know, in LA because they didn't want to open up the steam room to women because they said the men were naked in there. And I said, well, you can give us different hours or you can have us come in at the same hours, but you can't say we can't come in. Right. After I filed a complaint with the franchise tax board in California to take away their tax deduction, they decided to open it up. And they said, okay, well, the men are going to be naked. I said, that's fine. Uh, I'm looking for the naked truth, not a naked butt. So I went in, I knocked on the door of the steam room. I was wearing a, a not gay 90s outfit. And um I, I, I whipped open, I whipped out a tape measure, and the men were naked in there, and I started singing, "Peggy Lee's, is that all there is? Is that all there is?" And then the men quickly wrapped towels around their naked butts, and uh, I went in, and that's how I integrated the steam room at the Beverly Hills Friars
1: Club. I love it. Let's do a quick lightning round of some of your more well-known cases. Let's start with O.J.
0: O.J. Simpson, I represented the family of uh, Nicole Brown Simpson. During the criminal case, uh, he was acquitted. That was very painful for them. However, during that time, they wanted Nicole, may she rest in peace, to have a voice. And I helped provide that voice for Nicole.
1: What about Cosby? Pardon me? What about Bill Cosby?
0: Oh, Bill Cosby. Yes, yeah, sorry. Bill Cosby. Uh, I represented 33 victims of Bill Cosby or alleged victims of Bill Cosby. Uh, I represent the majority of the uh, victims or the persons who alleged they were victims who testified as prior bad act witnesses in the Bill Cosby criminal case in which he was convicted. Uh, that is, That conviction is now... Uh, on appeal to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, well, they'll decide soon whether those witnesses should have been permitted to testify or not, and whether that conviction will be affirmed or reversed. I also represent one uh, person who alleges that in a civil case and where we're representing her against Bill Cosby, she alleges she was a victim of child sexual abuse when she was 15 years old at the Playboy Mansion in Southern California and she alleges that Bill Cosby um, uh, engaged in sexual misconduct against her there. So we are awaiting the decision of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court and then we'll get a trial date in our case, Bill Cosby. Harvey Weinstein also, I represented the key uh, victim. There were two alleged victims in the criminal case in New York. Mimi Haley was the main one and I represented her. Uh, And based on her testimony in that case, he was sentenced to 20 years. He's now in prison and appealing from that conviction. And I also represent two alleged victims in the L.A. criminal case. Uh, Actually, uh, on April 30th, there will be a hearing to extradite Mr. Weinstein from New York to Los Angeles for the L.A. criminal prosecution. I also represent Mimi Haley in a civil lawsuit against uh Mr. Weinstein. I also represent 20 victims of Jeffrey Epstein uh wow. and in some have been in litigation some of those cases and I represent a number of victims in the claims process involving uh the sexual predator uh Jeffrey Epstein. I also represent a number of victims of R Kelly. Uh, in the criminal case, there. That's, of course, the famous singer songwriter, yeah. R. Kelly. And uh, I do represent uh, an alleged victim of Cuba Gooding Jr. as well.
1: Wow. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check out betterhelp.com/slash velvet robe. You may not be feeling down and out and depressed or like you're at a total loss. But if your stress level is high, your temper is shorter than usual, or even if you're starting to feel strained in any of your relationships, you could probably use the chance to unload. Talk to someone who's completely unbiased and who's not going to judge you or take sides. If there's stuff you can't tell your friends or family, this this is the place to do it. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera. If you don't want to, it's a much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain for it. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and behind the Velvet Rope listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. That's B E T T. E-R H E L P dot com slash Velvetrope. BetterHelp.com slash Rope. Well, you're staying busy.
0: I'm staying busy. And of course, uh recently at a press conference where I represent Sherryville, uh, and you know, she has allegations against Governor Cuomo of New York, wherein she alleged that he grabbed her and kissed her. It was not welcome. She did not consent. He did not ask before he did it. Um, She felt that it it was manhandling and she didn't feel it was appropriate.
1: I mean, how could he still be in office with all these claims? He is in
0: office. The uh, New York attorney general is uh, investigating him. And uh, Ms. Ville has uh, done an interview uh, while I was present with the investigators from the New York Attorney General's office. And so we'll have to wait and see. Uh the New York uh, legislature, the New York Assembly is also conducting an impeachment investigation. Um, so we'll we'll have to wait and see what the result is.
1: What about I know you recently took on a victim, an alleged victim in the Army Hammer case. Can you tell yes. us anything about that?
0: Yeah, that's uh Effie. Uh, very brave young woman. And we did a press conference and Effie at that press conference, uh, had made a serious allegation against, uh, army hammer. Uh, and her allegation is that she was a victim of rape by Mr. Hammer. Um, so there is, uh, uh an investigation, the Los Angeles police department, uh, David did, uh, did affirm publicly that, in fact, uh, Mr. Hammer is uh, the subject uh, and the suspect in the criminal investigation the Los Angeles Police Department is doing.
1: Does anything, because you know, I mean, there's a lot that's being said about Army Hammer, which to me is like, wow, this is shocking. I mean, is there anything that, like, when you get a new case, you're like, I've never seen this before, I'm even shocked? <laughs>
0: Uh, I I will say that every time I think I've seen it all, I realize that I haven't seen it all because there's some new uh, twist or new scenario uh, that someone is telling me about. Uh, It does not surprise me that many celebrities are, are living double lives because I'm so used to handling cases against celebrities, whether they are celebrities in the entertainment business, or it may be also in the religious world that they're famous people, or in the business world, educational world, political world, uh, sports world, and the other worlds. So uh, we're doing this constantly, uh, and our clients, as I say, are very, very brave to do it because they're speaking truth to power. Many of them are not speaking out publicly, Most are not. They don't have to. And I will defend their right to have a confidential settlement if that's what they want, even though that's been criticized by the press because people in the press, of course, their job is to know everything. That's not my job. My job is to protect my client, advocate for my client, help to achieve the goal my client wants to achieve. And many of my clients want privacy. They don't want the world to know they were raped or sexually assaulted or sexually abused when they were children. They don't want their mothers to know or their fathers or their sisters or brothers or grandmas or grandpas or anybody at work. They have that right. So we are able to settle many cases that way. But sometimes someone makes a mistake and decides that they'd rather fight us and then they have to live with the consequences.
1: What about, you know, because you said, like, nothing really shocks you, like, it doesn't shock you when like a celebrity is leading like a double life. Like, why do you think that is? I mean, that scene stuck out to me with seeing All Right Also, where like, Bill Cosby is telling the reporter, don't ever ask me that again. And let's stop this. Like, they start out with this arrogance. I mean, is is that what it is? That just celebrities, you know, there's money, people will do anything for them, and they just feel invincible.
0: Exactly, and you know, as I say, some people think Me Too started with Harvey Weinstein, but you know, I was doing Bill Cosby long before that. I was doing many other celebrities long before that, and women were speaking out. Uh, it's the arrogance of power, it's the sense of entitlement, it's the sense that some celebrities have that they can control the world, that they can control the press. They can't, doesn't mean they won't try, But that's why it's also important to meet power with power. And that's why I have a passion for justice. Because most often the people that I represent are not celebrities. They are people who have been victimized by the celebrity. The celebrity thinking that this person can be kind of, in a way, thrown out the window like a used Coke can by somebody who's driving down the highway. But these are human beings and they have been hurt and they have been harmed by wrongful or illegal acts by the famous person, and we're going to seek justice for them. And justice can be in many forms, as you know, David, because you're an attorney. It can be accountability through the payment of compensation as a result of a civil lawsuit or confidential mediation. Uh, And that's a form of accountability where the famous person literally has to pay the consequences of his wrongful acts or it can be through a lawsuit, a civil lawsuit, or it can be through a criminal case, or neither. There are many ways. It can also be in the court of public opinion, although that's a very dangerous place. Uh, and many people who are not lawyers don't know. They, they just go on the internet and they say, this, per- this celebrity, that celebrity, rape me, and then they find themselves on the wrong end of a lawsuit or getting a letter from uh, the celebrity's attorney uh, threatening them with a lawsuit. So, sure. uh, you know, it's it's important for people who have been harmed to consult an attorney before they do anything to learn what their rights and responsibilities are and what the risks are in any choice they're going to make. And then they can make their choice. As long as they're informed, then they're in a position to decide.
1: Do you look at like behavior of someone, you know, like Army Hammer is apparently, you know, like in hiding, like no one's seen him. Like, does that Does that get brought up and like, well, that's strange behavior.
0: Uh, I know where he is. He's on an island. Uh, And uh, he is no longer uh, being contracted with to uh, fulfill some of the entertainment roles that he had. Uh, So he's essentially... I think, paraphrasing him, taking time off to be with his family, and um, in any event, uh, I, it's really not of concern to me what he's doing. I just my clients want some form of accountability and justice. Um, so, I think to a large extent, uh, many women, by the way, have been speaking out, not just my client, yeah, uh, and making allegations against Army Hammer, and I you will see that there is more to come on that.
1: Interesting. Cause yes, some of the things I've read, I mean, have shocked me. So
0: it is shocking
1: in the sense that, uh, many people would
0: not expect an A-list celebrity to have said or done what he is alleged to have said and done. And of course, it's all a matter of proof. His attorney denies it for him. Um, And, you know, there's been an attempt to smear my client, but she's very brave and she's not going away.
1: That's good. What about Free Britney, the whole Britney Spears case? Uh, I have to ask you, Gloria. I mean...
0: I'm not involved in that, although I did represent someone against Britney some years ago. Uh, It is hard for anyone to, who has a conservatorship imposed upon them by the court. In other words, someone else is in charge of, whether it's her healthcare or economic affairs or both or just one, it's hard to get that lifted. It's a matter of proof. Um, And Brittany has her fans and they have a right to demonstrate. I, I don't think it makes any difference with the court, but they have a right to have their free speech.
1: I mean, right, because that's what I've heard about conservatorships. I mean, again, I am a lawyer, but it's been a long time since I practiced. So since you're here, the expert, I mean, is it like, do you think she'll ever be free? I I
0: have no idea. It's a matter of proof, and it's a matter of whether the court will decide that she's capable of handling her own affairs or not. And then it's also the issue of if she's not, who is going to be the conservator? Um, So... I, courts are very involved in making sure that when there is a conservatorship that, you know, that the conservators are fulfilling their, what we call their fiduciary duties, their legal duties to the person uh, whom whose legal affairs they are overseeing. Right. Um, so I, I'm not concerned about that.
1: Well, what if she called you for help? As, would you take Brittany as a client?
0: I don't handle conservatorships, So no, I would not. And the, the thing about me is I know what I know. I know what I don't know. I don't pretend to know everything. And I think lawyers who get involved just do anything and everything are looking for trouble and taking a lot of risks they shouldn't be taking.
1: And I know what I know. Reasons. I know
0: how to handle cases of rape and sexual harassment and sexual abuse and discrimination. And that's what I do. That's my area of expertise. Uh, we also had an incredible result recently, uh, where we represented 72 women who were sexually abused by Dr. Tyndall at USC, University of Southern California. And, uh, there was uh, a settlement, a global settlement, I think for 702 or so, uh, plaintiffs. We were part of that. And, um, was over 700 million dollars. Uh so we were just thrilled that we obtained an incredible wonderful result for our clients who again were very brave to have filed this and uh so
1: that's great. That's an
0: area that we also know.
1: What about I mean not exactly what you do but what are your thoughts on like the whole Sharon Osborne like not being at the talk? And I mean, it was as it relates to cancel culture, you know, like the rumor of Sharon Osborne's getting a lawyer now.
0: Well, that would not surprise me. <laughs> and uh, I think a lot of it depends on the terms of what her contract was. And so I don't have access to her contract. Um, same was true of uh, Pierce Morgan. I also knew him, actually knew him better than Sharon, although I believe I have met Sharon but I used to appear a number of times on Piers Morgan show when, uh, after he began to host on CNN after Larry King. And, um, you know, apparently he's still back with IT TV, ITV, although not in the same role that he had previously.
1: What about, and this is the last case I'll ask you about before you move on, what about Erica Girardi, Erica Jane and, Erica Jane and Tom Girardi? I have
0: known Tom Girardi for many decades. He was a leading plaintiff's lawyer, uh, did a great job for many, many victims of all kinds of wrongful acts. And this is so sad what has happened to him, but even sadder for many of his clients who allege that he misappropriated their funds uh, victims of airplane crashes, uh, victims, families, and so forth. Um, that is a no, no in for any state bar, for any lawyer put it in plain English that a lawyer must segregate that is put in a separate account, client trust account funds that are due to the client like settlement funds and must not touch them, must not take loans for personal use of the lawyer against those funds. Uh, even thinking, oh, they'll repay them one day. Lawyers can lose their license to practice law if they do that. Tom Girardi has lost his license to practice law. Michael Avenatti has had his bar license suspended uh, in California. Uh, he's been convicted of you know, felony crimes. So, you know, it is very sad. I've seen many, many high-profile lawyers uh, essentially take the fall. (laughs) The trap door opens and they fall through because they take unacceptable risks. Um, I think I'm one of the few high-profile lawyers who have survived for 45 years and is still practicing. I mean, I can name many who are not um, because we believe in ethics. We believe in following our ethical duties, which are mandated for lawyers. We don't get anywhere near that ethical line and take risks. We stay far away from it. Any decision we make, we resolve in in favor of our clients. When any money comes in for our clients through settlements and money's coming in every day for our clients through settlements, uh, or as a result of judgments in a court of law, uh, in advance, we have our clients wiring information and we, we wire it right out as soon as it comes in to the client. So there's never going to be an issue uh, because they're going to get their money right away and they're not going to be any excuses about why they can't have it.
1: I mean, are you shocked knowing Tom? Like you said, you knew him for, Does like, this, this shock you just because you knew I, I him? I am
0: shocked. I actually had lunch with Tom, um, I think it was early 2019 uh, as I recollect, or maybe it was 2018. uh, He wanted to have lunch with me for some reason I didn't really know. Uh, But I said, okay, I don't usually go out at lunch. I sit at my desk and I would just work through the day and have my lunch at my desk while I'm- doesn't shock me. While I'm responding to emails. Uh, I don't like to be going out and taking time away from my work in the middle of the day. But he asked me, so I said, okay, I'll go across the street with you. Uh, he wanted me to take, take me to some big fancy restaurant in Beverly Hills. I said, I don't want to go. I don't have the time. I was told he'll send a car for you. I said, I don't need a car. I'll walk across the street. That's all I do. I can't take any more time than that. I have to take care of my clients. So anyway, he came down. We We went to a little place across the street from my office, and we had a very pleasant lunch. And that's it, I have never seen him after that. And I just feel sorry for Tom, but I feel sorrier for his clients.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Have you ever met Erica, his wife?
0: I don't think I've ever met Erica, but the allegation is that he has given her funds, or funds were transferred to her, that it was a sham divorce, which I don't know if it was sham, it might've been a real divorce. And that she has funds that should have gone to some of the clients. I don't know if that's true or not. That's just the allegation. Um, And, but, you know, there, you know, I'm sure that there are many lawyers who are going to make sure that there is accountability here. And, um, and so we'll have to see what happens. I don't want to make any judgments in advance.
1: Totally. So, You know, like we see the Bill Cosby and seeing Allred and when he's like, you know, don't ask me that. So now, like when someone is involved and they say, well, who's the lawyer on the other side of the case? And the name comes up, Gloria Allred, like now do they get it? Like, I mean, are people afraid now, do you think? I I would be, Gloria. If it was me and someone said the opposite was Gloria and I I would be like, well, I don't even want to use the language because I don't know how you feel about poor language. But... I wouldn't be thrilled.
0: I would say that when I write a letter to the opposing counsel for a well-known person who I have reason to believe has acted wrongfully and hurt my client, raped them or sexually harassed them, whatever they've done to them. When I write a letter and say, let's, you know, Let's see if we can resolve this. Contact me. Um, They generally do. They generally contact me, opposing counsel, uh, within a week or two or whatever time frame I have provided to them that they need to contact me. I don't threaten people. I don't need to threaten people. The fact that I'm alive and breathing is a threat to most people uh, who have represented um, the wrongdoers, And there's a rather small circle of attorneys in Los Angeles who do represent celebrities. And I always say they represent the Hollywood bad boys and I represent the women they hurt. And so that's the way it is. Uh, You know, we have cordial relationships with the opposing counsel, but they know we're strong advocates for our clients and they're strong advocates for theirs. And we see if we can resolve it. And if it's not, you know, we're going to war, people know we don't bluff.
1: I was gonna say, they know you're not going away, I think, at this point. Well, the fact is,
0: you know, people think, oh, it's because they do a press conference. It's not because of that. It's because, maybe it's in part because of that, but it's really because we have, and still do, file lawsuits, litigate the lawsuits, try the lawsuits, and then go all the way up in the courts. We've won precedent-setting cases, United States Court of Appeals, California Court of Appeals, three cases in the Cal- that we've won in the California Supreme Court. So they know they have to take us seriously, and it's better to take us seriously in the beginning than to say no and then expect that we're going to go away they don't even want to talk to us because right. we're not going away. And it would right. be better for their clients if they opened a dialogue with us in the first place.
1: Absolutely. What do you think is like the biggest misconception about you? And have you ever like read or heard something about you that you're like, oh man, like that's not even in the ballpark of being true?
0: You know, I, I don't focus on me. It's not about me. It's about my clients. So I do understand that a lot of people don't understand lawyers who fight for, you know, victims. And a lot of people do bond with celebrities and they want to support the celebrities because they've seen the celebrities on in movies or on television or on the internet. And they feel like, Oh, they're a member of their family and the people I represent they've never heard of before. They've never seen. And so, but you know, I've had people come into me to be clients and they say, I don't know if you'll accept me as a client because I've attacked you in the past, but i now, I'm so sorry I did because now I need you to represent me. And I say, don't worry about that. It's fine. I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, you know, if you're not a woman or a man what racial minority you are or ethnic minority, you know, if I can help you, I will. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. Attacking someone personally is the lowest level of argument. It's usually what people do when they don't have a good argument on the merits. Yeah. So I understand that. And I feel if, you know, if they're attacking me personally, it's because they don't have a good argument against what I'm saying. So I feel that way I've won.
1: True. How nice is it to have a Netflix documentary about yourself?
0: I well, know it's I not was- about
1: you, but that's got to be somewhat exciting.
0: It was exciting in, after it came out, David, because so many women all over the world, because I think it was available in 20 different countries um, around the world. So many people emailed me, wrote to me and said they found it very empowering that many people had been very depressed, which is to me rage turned inward and they didn't know what they could do if they had been victims of injustice. And I helped them to understand that they could have courage because they saw many of my clients starting as victims, moving to the level of survivors, and then up to the highest level, which I call fighters for change. That's an evolution, victims to survivors to fighters for change. And they realized that they could become empowered as well, that they, they could find that they have more strength and courage to win justice than they ever realized that they had. And so they thanked me for that. And so if I have been able through that Netflix documentary, Seeing All Red, to make a difference in other people's lives, then I'm happy that the documentary was done. And I'm happy if they become empowered, because that will have a ripple effect to their families, to their coworkers, and in their communities.
1: Completely. Final two questions, I promise. Are you, you know, if you looked outside of yourself, if you weren't Gloria already and are you able to do this, like, are you able to look back at your career and say, I know it's not about you. It's about, you've helped so many people, but are you able to say like, what a freaking career? Like if it wasn't you and you looked at someone else, you probably could. Are you able to do that with yourself? And even though you like to work all the time, are you ever able after like a huge victory, like say the Cosby victory, or just to say- I'll go for a massage now. Or I'll just take one minute and just say yes. Or is it just like, yes, and now it's time to go back to the office for the other clients. And are you able to look back at your career and realize like just how amazing it's been?
0: I do feel that this is a journey for 45 years that I never knew that I would be taking, or if I did take it, that it would be still going on after 45 years that it would that there would still be so many battles to fight still against injustice and against discrimination uh, and against violence um, but here we are and i am very fortunate my two partners whom i met in law school michael morocco and nathan goldberg who've been like my brothers they've been my law partners for 45 years uh and, which is longer than some of our marriages put together um, Without them and the fact that they are secure men who, you know, the saying we have in the women's movement is a man of quality is not threatened by a woman of equality. Uh, They have been very secure. They have trusted me. They have followed my instincts about the battles that we needed to fight. Uh, They didn't come in as movement people to law practice with me. They just came in as lawyers, really terrific lawyers. Nathan was number one in our class at graduation from Loyola Law School out of 300 and some. Uh, Michael was right up there towards the top as well. And um, they, they didn't really know anything about the women's movement or gay and lesbian rights movement or any of that, uh, the racial uh, equality movement. But they trusted my instincts that we have, we had a duty to do these cases. Uh, and that we needed to do them even when we felt that we couldn't afford to do them, we should do them because it was the right thing to do. Right. And so I'm very fortunate, and I could not have done it without them and the other wonderful partners and associates that I have. And I'm excited to be able to do what I love and to be able to win these battles against injustice and to see my clients just so thrilled with the fact that they showed courage and they're rewarded for it because they didn't know that they could win. And uh, they e- really evolved into the human beings that they were meant to be as they fought these battles against injustice.
1: Which a lot of we saw from like your book and from the documentary, which everyone should read and see. Before we go, one thing, what is just one thing we don't know about you that we'd be surprised to find out? I love to dance. <laughs> And uh, as a matter of fact, on one
0: of the television shows in Los Angeles that uh, often has me as a guest. It's called At Issue, or excuse me, The Issue Is uh, on Fox with Alex Michelson. Every time I'm a guest, he puts on the Gloria music and then we dance together. So uh, I, I just love to dance. And uh, I guess I'm dancing through life and just feel really good. when I get up in the morning, And uh, there are more dragons to slay uh, and more battles to win. And uh, that's something I'm not sure that a lot of people know about me.
1: Amazing. Gloria, this is, is there, well, is there, before we go, is there anything else you want to say before we sign off? Everyone needs to just. Uh, Yeah. I like to give people a chance at the end because I have my own agenda. Thank you for answering all my questions, but whatever you would like to say.
0: Okay, this is the Notorious RBG. And uh, she is an inspiration to me every day, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Justice Ginsburg. And if one RBG is not enough, well, there's another RBG. (laughs) I love it. And I had the pleasure of meeting her at the United States Supreme Court. If people go to my webpage, GloriaAllRed.com, they'll see uh, photographs of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and myself as she's talking with me at the U.S. Supreme Court and also having dinner together at the U.S. Supreme Court, and uh, she is my inspiration, and uh, I aspire every day uh, to continue the battle for equal rights, uh, for which she was such a strong advocate when she was a lawyer before the U.S. Supreme Court and when she was a justice of the United States Supreme Court.
1: That's amazing, and I'm sure there's a million people listening to this where you are their inspiration, so... Well, thank you. Pass it on. I will pass it on. Again, I speak to a lot of people. This was very near and dear and personal to my heart. You are just, thank you for everything you've done for like just every, I mean, you're wonderful. So I really appreciate you you taking your time. Keep up the good fight. You too. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.